This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. As you know, I hope you know by now, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's on your heart or mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630 5757. If you would rather, you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions in that way. And if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You can use the hands-free features on your phone. One button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we made it through another week. Uh, We'd love to end with your phone calls and questions. A quick apology. We don't know what happened quite uh, at the end of yesterday's show. Uh, I think we missed out about on a minute and a half. We just lost our connection here, and all we could hear was some music in the background. I don't know what you were hearing, but... um, Paula had a lot to say in the last minute and a half, and she didn't get the opportunity. So we're sorry for the technical difficulties. Maybe we can all hold our breath together today and pray that we'll get through this program without any such difficulties. Uh, I'm going to be teaching uh, tonight at 7 o'clock on, on, uh, at calvarysa.com, live streaming. It's our regular Friday night service. Uh, I'm going to be teaching from first. Actually, not First Peter. We finished First Peter, Second Peter, Chapter One, and uh, we're going to be doing just the first four verses. Uh, that's tonight at seven o'clock, and then on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching a really difficult passage. And not difficult to understand. It's frankly easy to understand, but it's difficult. So nobody wants to hear it. It's from First uh, Timothy chapter two about order in the church, and it really is in this particular case about the women's role in church and what they're able to do and not able to do. Uh, is in regards to being a pastor. So all of that is tonight. I get lots and lots of calls about women pastors. So maybe tonight you can tune in, or I mean on Sunday morning you can tune in, and and you'll um, you'll get all of the answers that you need. Well, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. This first one is anonymous. Um, he says, "My wife and I are believers, but we don't want children." We're fine with it, but other people act as though we are sinning. What do you say? Uh, Anonymous, I say you should probably find a really nice way to tell people to to get out of your business. It doesn't matter. It's you and your wife. You've made a decision. 
I'm guessing that you made it prayerfully, and uh, it's just a personal conviction that you have. And if uh, other people aren't okay with that, well, then uh, truth is they don't get a vote. Now, here's what I would say to you. I, I say this all the time when we're doing pre-marriage counseling or, or even marriage counseling. Um, you know, as Christians, it's our responsibility to want for our lives what God wants for our lives. You know, we, we should be the people who get up and say, Lord, what about me? What about today? We should expect God's blessing to come on a regular basis. Uh, we should recognize that every great and perfect gift is from above. And so what I would ask you to do, you and your wife together, not worry about what you want or what you think, but say, Lord, what do you want? We want your will to be done in and through our lives rather than our will to be done. And it's perfectly okay. God knows your heart anyway. It's, you know, Lord, we're content. We don't really have a desire for children. But what do you want? And here's what I promise you. If you and your wife are together in the Word, He's going to answer your questions. Maybe it's going to be fine that you don't have children. Maybe that's just not His plan for you. But at the same time, you ought to find out. You ought to find out. We've had uh, so many, 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 many multiple child families in our church over the years. And, uh, you know, a lot of, especially those last children, they come as the parents are getting a little bit older and they've been through it two or three or four times. And then another child comes along. I don't want this child. I don't want this. Every single one of those parents can imagine what life would be like without those last children. My point is simply to give God a vote. This should be true in everything that we do. We should desire to be in the will of God more than anything else. So if you're willing to have to let the Lord change your heart, then ask Him. And if you're not willing to let the Lord change your heart, then repent. I hope that really makes sense to you. But as far as it deals with other people having an opinion in your life, um, assume they mean well, don't get angry with them, but at the same time, just nicely tell them, well, I'm not married to you. This is between us and the Lord. So thank you for your opinion, but that's over. So I think that would simplify your life. Here is a question from William. Pastor Ron Hank Hanegraaff says he doesn't believe in the rapture because the Bible doesn't teach it. I always thought there was a rapture. Can you help me understand? Um, yeah, I can. Um, William, a couple of things. Um, I, I'm very familiar with Hank Hanegraaff's ministry. As I've been um, um, blessed by his ministry uh, since my very, very first days almost as a Christian. That's really important. I, I have no axe to grind with Hank Hanegraaff. Um, but Hank is a guy who's changed his position on a lot of things. Hank Hanegraaff used to be a pre-trib, pre-mill rapture guy. Uh, he actually started out as a, as a Calvary Chapel. When I got saved, he was uh, going to Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, sort of our, our mother church, the, 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 the original Calvary Chapel. Uh, and, and his doctrine was spotless. His eschatology uh, was pre-mill, pre-trib, as I said. Um, and then he started uh, maybe getting smart. I don't know. But uh, you're right. He doesn't believe in the rapture now. Uh, he claims 
the Bible that he always said taught it before it doesn't. Uh, and he's wrong. Listen to this. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read these verses to you. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, that's the foundation for these next three verses. He's saying that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, we can't inherit him in these bodies. So in the next verse, verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, Listen, calls attention. I tell you a mystery. Mystery is something that's not ever been disclosed before. It's not been taught. Jesus, now we know, hinted at the rapture. But, but this is the first time this was a revelation given to Paul. And here's what he says. We will not all sleep. That means to die. But we will all be changed. I knew a pastor in Southern California that had that uh, verse over his nursery ministry. Uh, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. But Paul's talking about a physical transformation. Remember, verse 50 is the foundation for this. And then listen to this. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Please note there, uh, William, the the distinction between uh, the dead and we. They're going to be raised imperishable. Those who've gone to the Lord before, and we will be changed. That's word metamorpho. It's a, a word transformation, like a cocoon um, goes through that metamorphosis. And we'll be changed. Why? Because the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. You see, that's the only way we can go to heaven. I always think about, you know, I'm not a big fan of flying, but I do fly a lot. It's not that I'm afraid. I just don't like anything about it. But... Um, you know, it's it's always, I, I, when I sit on an airplane the first time, I always praise the Lord because we're going to go up maybe 25,000, 30,000 feet on the, the flights that I go on. And uh, I just think, you know, they've got to pressurize the airplane so that we can go 30,000 feet in the air. These bodies aren't even made for that. Well, Paul is saying here that a completely different transformation has happened before we can go to heaven. He has to give us a body that we can be with him forever. And so that's going to happen in an instant. Now, it wasn't until a few years ago when people started getting really smart, William, and I'm using that with sarcasm, um, that, that people would say there's no rapture. Everybody, all theologians believe there was a rapture. There was differences of opinion on when it would happen, whether or not Christians would go through at least part of the Great Tribulation. So those are differences of opinion. But nobody doubted that there would be a rapture. All of a sudden, people write books and they decide, well, there's not going to be a rapture. You cannot explain 1 Corinthians 15 any other way. So Hank Hanegraaff, um, I'm grateful to God for him. He was a 
a force in my early years in the Lord. He's just wrong now. He's changed not only that, but he's changed his view on the atonement. He's changed his view on the sacraments. He's changed his religion, really, by, by converting to Orthodox Christianity. And I always worry about people that can't decide, you know, always looking, never finding. So, William, there is going to be a rapture. Uh, First and Second Thessalonians also talks about it. There's all kinds of pictures. Let me also recommend um, that uh, you can go to calvarysa.com. And there you'll um, go to um, the New Testament studies there. And in the book of Revelation, um, the first study in Revelation chapter 4, I always, and we've been through Revelation three times with the church here, but the first study in Revelation chapter 4 is always about the rapture of the church and all the biblical pictures, the types, um, the, the, the evidence uh, for uh, the rapture of the church, uh, when it's going to be, how, why it has to be that way. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, the very first study, and uh, I think you'll find it interesting. Thank you for the question, William, very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to oh, on line one, Federico. Good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. Gloria, Dios bendecido. How are you doing, Pastor? <laughs> I'm doing well. Y tú también, mi amigo. Happy and blessed are those who glory in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. Gloria a Dios bienaventurado. Good. Good, good, yes, good. Sir. By the way, I'm going to be teaching tonight on, on happier those who glory in Christ Jesus from Second Peter chapter 1, so it's okay. Wait, where is it at? Second Peter chapter 1, the first four verses tonight. Second Peter chapter 1. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to review it. Pastor, I was going to ask you, if you can give me any reference, I want to do a study on the on the church, on the church uh, fathers, after the apostles, after Paul, after all the apostles, after them who took over the churches. Is there a book that will give me some, like, church, the, the first, the first, first and second or third century Gospel. Uh, yeah, there there is Federico, and for, for the life of me right now, I can't remember it. Uh, at the break, I'll I'll kind of look into my library and see what the name of that book is. But there's a lot of stuff you can Google uh, the the first three centuries of church history. Um, what you want to do is you want to stop before 313 A.D. because that's when Constantine sort of rewrote uh, church history and the church became. Um, Catholic with a small C, a universal um, uh, church, and and right. uh, was governed then by Rome in 313 A.D. Uh, so if you'll kind of just bear with me uh, at the break, okay. I'll figure out uh, wh- what the author's name is, and I'll get it to you, okay? Okay, I'll be listening. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Thank you. God bless you, Federico. Let's go to Nancy calling from San Antonio. Nancy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Nancy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Yes, the boys and I have been doing, uh, we've been following Genesis on Wednesday night as a family, but we also have been doing some Bible study in the morning before we start the distant learning. And 
we had a question and that we were kind of talking over, and I don't know the answer. And the question was, was Cain saved? Will Cain be in heaven? Yeah, Nancy, the answer to the question is going to be no. Uh, I just, as you know, I just did that um, uh, last week uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 4 and mm-hmm. uh, 5. And um, Cain was unrepentant. Um, he was um, in rebellion against God. So no, Cain is the ungodly life uh, a line that the Canaanites came from. And of course, they were enemies of God uh, from the very beginning. So no, Cain will not be in heaven. His sin was not forgiven because he didn't ask for forgiveness. He felt entitled. He just felt like he could uh, do what he wanted. And then when uh, when God protected him, he sort of took um, 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 pride in the fact that, well, God's not going to let me be hurt. And so he just continued living an ungodly lifestyle. So unfortunately, Cain didn't make it. We'll see his brother Abel, but we won't see Cain. Right, and, that's, and God still gave him mercy even when he put a mark on him. Sure, he gave him mercy, and Cain lived a long fruitful in terms of producing uh, heirs uh, a life but um, never never bowed a knee to the Lord and um, that's a a problem I mean that's that's troubling so no tell the kids they they won't see Cain but they'll see Abel okay Pastor Ron thank you we'll hey please give Javi and Solomon my love okay I will <laughs> thank you I will. God bless Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, let me see. We got a question from our mobile app from Tim. Um, Pastor Ron, I've heard that you say that husbands and wives should attend the same church together. I agree, but I have a friend whose wife go to another church than he does because she speaks another language. Is that okay to do? Yeah, Tim, you know, in fact, what I do, uh, I always say the only reason it makes any sense at all to me is when um, a husband and wife speak different languages. People need to be in church, they need to be in fellowship, and uh, they need to go where they can get fed. So uh, other than language, there's no acceptable reason at all for a husband and wife not to attend church together. And and even when the languages are different, well, somebody needs to learn as quickly as they can uh, the other language so that the husbands and wives can study together and read together and do those things. But, um, Tim, uh, certainly we've got people in our church who the, the husbands come here and the wives who are Korean and speak almost no English, they study uh, at a Korean fellowship or they attended a Korean fellowship. Uh, we also have some um, who, who first language is Spanish and they don't get much from the English services. So um, they will go to a Spanish study. Now, of course, we have a Spanish church at five o'clock on Sunday nights so uh, they can do that. But um, uh, language is the only acceptable reason, Tim, for a husband and wife not to attend church together. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Well, they got to know which direction they're walking. Uh, I think even if they go to different churches because of the language, the churches need to be consistent doctrinally 
with one another so that we've got a husband and wife uh, walking the same way together. Thank you very much for the question. Here is a question from Ramon. He says, uh, James says that faith without works is dead. So why don't you and other churches teach that salvation combines both faith and works? Uh, just told we have a phone call, so I'm going to rather let her hold. I'll get to that question in a moment. Let's go to line one. Cindy calling from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. I feel like Hi, I Cindy. just said Friday to you, and it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> All the days seem the same to me, Cindy. I know they're all I'm, they're getting real muddled in my head. <laughs> um, you know what? In Colossians chapter three, verse twenty-four and twenty-five, it starts out in the NIV. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord. Christ who you are serving. Now 25 says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. So anyways, I'll just kind of leave you with that and let you uh, chat about it a little bit. And I'm, I'm glad. Thank goodness it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> tonight it's a good study tonight, Cindy. Thank you for calling. Um, we have to have the context. The, the, the verse 24, the sense is in the middle of a sentence. And so verse 23 says, and this is the motto of our school here, by the way, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. Here's why. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then said in contrast to that, Cindy, the next verse, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there's no favoritism. In other words, God is impartial. He's absolutely impartial. So if you do wrong, you're going to pay whatever the consequences are, and you're going to be judged uh, as Christians. Remember, not for salvation, but but for works. Um, you're going to you're going to be judged based on your motives, based on on um, uh, why you rebelled against the Lord. Those kind of things. So again, let's set the context. He says, "Do everything with all of your heart." Why? Because you know Jesus is the one you're really serving. You know, when we go to work, Cindy, and you've heard me say this before here at church, but uh, when we go to work, our job is to be the best employee in, in, our, in our workplace, to go with the right attitude. And, and it doesn't matter what you're getting paid. It doesn't matter um, um, whether you're being treated fairly. But as you represent Jesus, you're serving him, we work as though he is our real boss, which in fact he is. And when we don't do that, then we do wrong. We're going to be repaid for, for the wrong and God's impartiality in judging. Now, what's really important to remember, the, the chapter and verse divisions are not inspired by God. Man did this in the, uh, uh, I think, 15th century for the New Testament. Um, just help us find things, references. Uh, so chapter 4 goes in the same thing. He talks about somebody who does wrong. He says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So the idea is how we treat people, how we view the work that we do, how we protect our witness so that everybody can see that we belong to the Lord. Now the Apostle Paul was a great example of all of this. 
You know, Paul was a tent maker, and especially when he was in Corinth, he didn't take anything for his teaching. He he made sure that everybody saw him working. He's there for 18 months. That that He said, I, I work with my hands. My knees were supplied by my own hands. And he would work all day, and he would preach all night. And he was doing both with all of his heart. At times, we have a tendency in our culture to separate the secular from the spiritual. And, you know, we'll go to church and we'll serve God with all of our heart. But at work, well, it's not fair. I don't like the job. My boss is not fair to me. I'm not getting paid enough. Um, We've forgotten in that place of work that we are also serving the Lord, that he's always watching. We had to be to work early. We need to be there ready to go to work. We had to be there, as I said, with the right attitude so that everybody in the place you work knows that you are the employee that they all should be. And you'll get the opportunity to share your faith with people. So that's what he's talking about here. Now, uh, we don't have slaves um, uh, now, but, but this context was slaves obey your earthly masters and then to the masters provide your slaves with what is right and fear if you don't then God will repay you for the wrong you're doing. That ought to take away any notion, and we see this all the time in our our world, that the Bible approves of slavery. It doesn't. Slavery was a fact of life then, and God is simply saying, whether you're slave or master, you owe it to God to treat people that He loves the best you can. We have 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the word to stand on for life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Federico, have you got a pen? Are you ready? My favorite church history book, um, what you're asking for, is F.F. Bruce. He's my favorite author of all time. F.F., like Frank Frank, Bruce. And the book is called New Testament History. And it is a treasure. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is not always easy to read, but you will be so blessed. So kind of dig in and struggle through it. Another good one is a book called uh, Church History in Plain Theology or in Plain Language. Uh, I think the title is actually Christian Theology in Plain Language. It's by Bruce L. Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. And uh, it was published in 19... 19- 82, and uh, it comes highly recommended as well. Um, church history books, you've got to be really careful not to get the Catholic story, uh, and a lot of them are going to have that. So those two, Bruce Shelley and F.F. F. Bruce, and that title is New Testament History, um, and you will love the book. 
I've got it in paperback. I think it's also available in a hardcover, uh, but I have it in, in paperback form. So, Federico, thank you for, for being patient with me. Uh, let's go to the question that I didn't get, Ramon's question. Uh, James says that faith without works is dead, so why don't you and other churches teach that salvation combines both faith and works? Well, Ramon, we don't teach that because it isn't true. You don't understand what James is saying. James is talking about the identity of a Christian. Simple, we're saved by grace through faith, and that the faith, not of your own, it is the gift of God, Ephesians chapter 2. So we're saved by grace, unmerited favor. There's nothing whatsoever to do with works. And James is simply saying, and you gotta always people miss the context of James when he says this. He says to them, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And what James is saying is that you'll be able to tell I'm a Christian by the way I live my life. And people that just lay claim to Christ and their life doesn't hasn't changed, their their life isn't one that is clearly walking in the light with Christ, James saying, why am I to believe you that you're a Christian when your life says otherwise? That's the whole point of James. So he's simply saying, look, you want to see that I'm a Christian, you watch the way I live my life. Not talking about works like, well, I got to do good deeds, I got to uh, preach so many times or read so many chapters. Not that kind of works. He's just saying, Faith, true faith, results in good works. A professed faith without works, Ramon, is an empty faith. And that's all he's saying. So, again, read your Bible in context. Remember that our job is to rightly divide the the, the scriptures, find out what the author intended to say, and you can only do that by really being a serious student. You also have to remember that we think of things through a filter of our lives. And if we're legalism-oriented or if we're, we're works-oriented, maybe we've got a little bit too much pride in the things that we do, um, we're going we're gonna to read something like this through the filter. Yeah, I've got to do good stuff. But that's not what... James is saying it all. Remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Of all of our Bible writers, he was certainly the most religious man, the most legalistic in terms of his orientation. He was a Jew and a devout Jew. So devout, he didn't believe in his brother until after the resurrection, after his crucifixion resurrection. And so James, I would like James because he's just direct to the point. And here's what he's saying is, look, you can claim to be a Christian all you want, but if your life doesn't show it, I don't believe you. That's what he's saying. And then he challenges him. You want to see what a Christian lives like? Watch my life. And Ramon, that's consistent with the, what the Apostle Paul said uh, on two occasions, follow me as I follow Christ. And every Christian ought to be able to say that. Jay says, what is meant when it says that we are dead to sin? Let me read the verse. This is from Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Jay. It says, in the same way, count, and that's a, a business term, reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's one of those statements that said, look, 
um, because sin didn't do anything for us in our lives pre-Christ. It just tried to destroy us. Because we're born again, then we should count ourselves, consider ourselves dead to sin. And then here's the contrast, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we don't have to sin. When we are tempted, we can say no. When there are things that, that you know, worldly people do, things that we used to do before we got saved, we don't have to do those things. We're no longer bound to those things. Why? Because we are alive in Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul also writes that, that uh, when we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if we sow to the flesh, then we're going to reap the rewards and the ugly benefits from the flesh. So by meaning we're dead to sin, when sin sort of tries to bring us to life again, all we have to do is remember that we're dead to sin, and dead people can't respond to those things. And if we understand that we're to count ourselves dead to sin, then when tempted we realize, why do I want to go in the graveyard? I I always think in this verse, uh, Jay, of uh, the angel sitting in the tomb when the women approach, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And since we're alive in Christ, why would we be hanging around the cemeteries of sin? There's no value in that, no benefit. So that's what's meant, Jay, by being dead to sin. The 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Miranda. Uh, since Jesus died for the whole world's sins, does that mean everyone will eventually go to heaven? No, Miranda, that doesn't mean uh, that at all. Jesus' death was efficacious, sufficient for everyone in the world. But it was only effective for those who believe. So Jesus died and his death was enough to cover the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But here's the key, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So we believe in Jesus, we escape punishment for sins. But if we reject him, if we're not one of the whosoever who believe, then we're going to stand before God and be judged for our sins and we're going to be told, depart from me, for I never knew you. Uh, in the King James, it says, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. And Miranda, I think one of the things that we forget is that the real issue in heaven isn't that we know Jesus. Everybody knows about Jesus. But the question is, does Jesus know us? Now, there's a lot of people who make professions of faith, and then they sort of fritter away, you know, and they don't, they don't uh, um, um, stay the course. Um, we always wonder, did they lose their salvation? No. Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. If, unless they repent, of course, and get saved, but, but that's what he'll say. So uh, you have to be really careful, Miranda, of, of um, the term is universalism. Um, people that don't like to think about eternal punishment want to believe that everybody's going to get to heaven and it's just not going to happen. The only way to go to heaven is to believe in Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him and the tragedy will be and this is an unspeakable tragedy the tragedy will be 
that most are going to reject him. Far more will reject him than will believe in him. And Jesus told another story about the wide road and the narrow road. The wide road is well-traveled, congested traffic jams. But that's the road that leads to an eternity in hell. The narrow road, sort of constricting, at least that's what our flesh tells us. Well, why can't I do this? And why can't I do this? Well, if we walk on the wide road, we're going to go where all those people are going. But if we're on the narrow road, Jesus says, few find that road. That's the road to heaven. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Daniel, we've got a phone call before Daniel. I was going to say Daniel's an interesting question, but let me go to a phone call first. We've got Phyllis calling from Converse. Phyllis, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm Paula. We're doing well. It is so good to hear your voice. Oh, same here. I, I listen to the radio. I just uh, sometimes time go by so fast I don't get to call in. <laughs> <laughs> but I miss you guys. I really do. Thank you. I, um, um, I had a question. I know we reminded over and over this world is not our final home. Mm-hmm. And um, if so happens, some of us are taken from the virus. Um, I was thinking over and over and over, the biggest problem is, was not, is not really dying from the virus. It's the biggest problem of people that are dying without Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, if... Uh, um, I guess my main thing is uh, looking at the hope and the resu- looking at the hope of resurrection through Christ. Uh, I was studying this morning in First Thessalonians, and our Paul's letter to the church, how he was encouraging the believers what happens after death. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is, you probably answered it, but um, I would love to hear you know the answer. My question is, uh, when we actually die, this physical body, um, do we uh, consider to be asleep? Because some of the scriptures, like Jesus told the disciples Lazarus was asleep, so he just called him sleep and not really death. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the question is, um, these physical bodies, what actually happened to them? Are we considered just sleep? Or I know uh, one time I thought I heard you saying that we. What? We lost you, Phyllis. I'm sorry. Uh, listen to my answer on the radio. I know what the question is. Um, Phyllis, uh, Paul writing to the churches in Corinth, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the moment, the instant that we die, uh, no matter what we die from, the instant we die as born-again believers, we go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Now, there, there's uh, Seventh-day Adventists, some other cultish-type groups, they believe in what they call soul sleep, that, that we die, we just go to sleep until, uh, until Jesus comes back. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the, the verses that, that they mention, the same one that you mentioned, um, death is also uh, referred to as sleep. And in the Lazarus story, uh, the disciples said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. And then the very next verse says, but Jesus meant his physical death. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
So when we die, now here's the, the, the dynamic, Phyllis. Um, you and I, we live in these, these old bodies. Um, they're, they're wearing out, pulses outwardly, we're wasting away inwardly, we're being renewed day by day in the image of Christ. But outwardly, the truth is we're dying. And so when we die, when we take the last breath on this planet, we instantly go into the presence of the Lord. The real us is not the skin and bones that we inhabit, but the spirit in us. Now, when we go to be with Jesus, we're instantly given a new physical, resurrected, glorified body. It's a body that's going to last forever. But make no mistake, we go instantly into the presence of the Lord. So when... Uh, the euphemism for, for death is sleep. That was just um, the way the ancient world talked. But, but Jesus made clear they understood, no, Lazarus is dead. And so um, we instantly go in the presence of the Lord. No waiting. Um, you know, if we die uh, in a hospital, uh, and, and we've seen this happen over and over, uh, I've, I've had the privilege, Phyllis, of being in, in a lot of deathbeds, and I don't sound—I don't want to sound morose when I say that. But you know, a home going is a really good thing, and I've been in in lots of places, lots of hospital rooms or homes where somebody was going to die momentarily, and um, I always tell them, "Here's what's going to happen: an angel is going to appear. Now, nobody will be able to see the angel, but you." And an angel will just take the real you out of this old, tired body and instantly usher you into the presence of the Lord. We know that from Luke chapter 16. So um, no worries, Phyllis. We go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Good question, and it's really good to hear that you're okay. Let's go to uh, the question that Daniel had that was interesting. Uh, Daniel says, when do you think churches should start meeting again? And do you think that we ought to defy local orders to do so? Uh, Daniel, I don't know when churches are going to start meeting again. Believe me, I'm not in anybody's decision-making circle. So I don't know. I hope and pray it's very soon. Uh, There is some whispering going around that that would indicate that May 3rd, um, our governor is pushing for churches to be able to meet again um, and uh, it, it seems like May 3rd is his target date. Now I don't know if that's going to happen or not um, but uh, we can all pray. Um, I know that I want to get back to meeting with the people that, that I love so much and they're anxious to be back um, but uh, honestly nobody knows this situation remains fluid and Things change from day to day, so we don't know. Now, should we defy local orders uh, not to meet? The answer is no, I don't think we should. Um, I think, and this is a hard thing to explain, Daniel, but I think that that when the church is, is set against other things, you know, if they open liquor stores, if they open bowling alleys, if they open... Uh, parks. If somebody were to say, yeah, but we're not going to let churches meet, uh, I think maybe then uh, we would be not only within our rights, but, but, but our duty as Christians not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. Um, 
Um, and, and maybe that would be the case, but, but I don't even want to think about that now. Daniel, the one thing I know is that um, when we are going to meet again, uh, everybody will know it. I'm talking about our church personally. We will not defy any laws, um, uh, but we are anxious to, to, to bring the body of Christ back together again. Um, I will tell our people, if they are a bit fearful of gathering together, come slowly. I will tell those who are in the, the compromise groups, the, the senior citizens and, and those who have other physical problems, I'll tell them maybe it would be better for you to continue watching online for a few weeks until the Lord sort of prompts your heart to get back in the game. And I'll tell them to do that with no guilt, no accusation. Um, but but I personally think, Daniel, that it will be um, a pretty slow process um, because the media has done such a great job of instilling fear. You know, this virus outbreak uh, we were told at the beginning that they would, would anticipate more than a million deaths. And then it was, well, our numbers are wrong, so it's going to be 200,000 deaths. And, 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 of course, there's not, not any numbers even approaching that. And yet those are the things that we hear, and those are the things that we're afraid of. So, Daniel, I, we're not going to defy any laws um, but we also are eager to meet the moment, the instant that they tell us it's okay. Let me also say something else to Christians out there. Um, you know, the one thing that we cannot do is be afraid. All life has risk. I'm not minimizing life. Um, we've got to be about our mission even if we are afraid, we've got to choose to trust the Lord. That doesn't mean that he's going to protect us from getting something. But it means that when we are obedient, then the Lord will be with us if, in fact, we get something. And we've just got to decide. And, and you know, Daniel, at least in my mind, and, and my, my, my mind's a scary place to be, but at least in my mind, um, I, I just really believe that we who are believers ought not to be moved by the things of this world the way the people who are unbelievers are moved. And, and I'm sadly watching too many Christians who are too afraid to go outside. And the enemy just camps on that fear and pounds and pounds and pounds. So I think, Daniel, we've got to let our light shine. It is a command in Scripture um, and we got to do it. Let me make one other comment on this, and this is just in general. Um, and, and I mean, not, not to condemn anybody by this statement. But how you respond when we're able to come back is going to be determined by your view of church. How vital is it to you? I can just tell you, if church is just something you do, then you're going to be unlikely to come back, maybe even for a long time. The enemy's going to use fear to try to keep you away from the very place that you need to be. But if you view church as we do, and when I say we, I mean, I can only speak for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and I, I know there are lots and lots of other churches that, that, that follow the Lord with all of their heart. But if you consider yourself the church, 
not just church something that you do, but that you are the church, then you can't wait to get back into fellowship. And we need to get back into fellowship. We need to grow. We need to understand that church is, I'll use the, 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 the current word, an essential service. But it's also essential that we serve others. And you know, the internet or watching online is great. I'm really grateful now more than ever for the technology that we have. But it doesn't replace Christians being with Christians. Remember, if your view of church is that it's essential to your life, you're going to hurry to get back. If your view of church is, well, it's just something I do, you know, there's no rush to come back. Uh, I can tell you that there's a lot of people who don't do well without church. They're not doing well sitting alone in their homes. They need to be encouraged. They need to be spurred on to good deeds, as the way the New Testament puts it, by, by other believers. The fellowship of the body is crucial for a fruitful life. So I hope that answers your question, Daniel. One more question. Scott says, was Balaam a real prophet or was he a diviner? Uh, Scott, he was a pagan. He was certainly not a believer. Uh, that he's called a prophet. You remember, he did speak directly for God. God told him what to say and he told him. And that made him a prophet. Now, not, not a believer, but that made him a prophet. So he really did speak for God, even though he didn't want to. Um, but he was um, uh, um, a man who got wealthy on the misery of others. He was a, a pagan who um, actually figured out a way for Israel to destroy itself. God wouldn't curse them, so he figured out a way that they would curse themselves. He sent in pagan women to have sex with the, the Jews, the Jewish men, and they would bring their idols and introduce idolatry in the course of the sex act. And he got paid a lot of money to do it. So a real prophet in that he spoke for God, but, but don't misunderstand, he was not a believer. That's Numbers 22. Second um, Peter chapter 2 mentions Balaam and both uh, Jude, uh, verse 11, and Revelation chapter 2 mentions Balaam as, as well. And uh, none of those mentions are what we would call positive mentions of this guy who is Balaam. Uh, I like that God used a donkey to rebuke him. Well, we're in less than one minute now, so I don't have time to answer another question. Um, let me encourage you. Let me try to spur you on in this last few seconds of the program today. Um, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with your Bible. If you'll do that, then you won't be afraid of the things that everybody else is afraid of. And God will still use you. This is a time, as Paul and I said on the program yesterday, to sort of redirect or recalibrate your life. One of those sort of forced vacations. What are we going to do with our time? My prayer is that you're going to love Jesus more than ever before. 340, oops, you'll have to call us now. The program's going off. Church tonight, 2 Peter at 7 o'clock, Sunday, 1 Timothy. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.